almost 10 years ago when I began my ordained life, as I think many of you know, uh, the bishop asked me to serve at Ascension Episcopal Church in Northwoods. Within three blocks of that congregation is the Board of Education building for the school district of Normandy, which ex extends over a great part of North St. Louis County. As you might also recall, the school district was challenged at that point uh, of being unaccredited. I met shortly after I began my tenure there with the superintendent of schools and asked who I might talk with who knows the community and, and began to help us focus uh, our energy and our ministry of ascension. And his response was immediate. It was Chris Kramer, the president and chief executive officer of Beyond Housing. So I've come to appreciate Beyond Housing as a very large footprint uh, in the entire St. Louis community, but grounded in the reality that without adequate housing, without affordable housing, without safe housing, we cannot make progress as a community on the many issues that confront us. I'm proud to call Chris a good friend, proud to call him a colleague, and proud to acknowledge him an incredible resource for the St. Louis community. Please join me in our friend, Chris Kramer. Great to be here. Um, I have a, a, a history with this uh, fine congregation. Actually, I gave a sermon here probably 15 years ago for, for a long, long time. Christian, I'm sure it was so memorable that you remember you know, everything I said back those 15 years. Um, uh, it's great to be also uh, actually in this uh, in this space and in the basement early on. Our offices used to be right down the street on the corner of, uh, of uh, uh, Hanley. Um, and Delmar. Uh, we held uh, some of our first back-to-school events here, book drives here. So again, uh, I have uh, fond and great memories of, uh, of this church and this congregation. And uh, I, I walked in and saw some old old neighbors uh, from many, many years ago. Uh, it's great to, great to catch up with, uh, with them. So here, uh, what I'm, I'm trying to tell you today is just a story about um, the organization that I'm um, so proud to be a part of for um, 27 years now. And I hope you walk away with two things. Um, the story of what's possible, um, but more importantly, there's so much more to be done. And how do we collectively find our way to um, doing more than we're doing today? So here's a little bit about us. So as Mark mentioned, you know, we have a particular geography that um, a, a lot of our work um, happens in. Not, not all of it, but clearly a lot of our work happens in something that we call 24-1. So 24 was the number of small municipalities in the boundaries of the Normandy Schools Collaborative. Um, yeah, St. Louis, we know how to do things really in small, tiny little increments. Um, and one was their, uh, their, their collective vision. We'll talk more about that. So um, this map is not so much for you guys, but, but we use this map particularly for people. We get lots of people from all across the country who hear about our work, and everybody wants to know, like, where's, where's Ferguson? So we try to let them know. Uh, a reference point, but uh, you see the, the demographics of the footprint uh, that we work. Um, uh, I won't read it to you, but again, lots of challenges, uh, lots of issues. Um, then also you see the interesting shift in dynamics of uh, the, the demographics of the school population is not the same demographic of the, the, the total geography in and of itself. Not unlike U City and not like many other schools. Um, a lot of parents live in our community, send their kids someplace else, looking looking for better schools. 
And what that means is, as you can see by the demographics of, um, you know, the, the amount of folks uh, living in poverty and kids struggling every day when they go to school is, uh, is pretty dramatic as well as this bottom number I always try to have people just think about. So what that means is a 40% mobility rate. That means from the first day of school to the last day of school in one school year, the churn rate of kids coming and going in the Normie Schools Collaborative is 40%. I just harken back to my days as youth, like a new kid came to school, it was a big deal. Like we talked about it for weeks, right, there's a new kid in class. Um, so, so for us, the issue is, how do kids learn how teachers teach? And the answer is they don't do it very well. And not that kids can't learn, teachers can't teach, right? But if you have this kind of instability, this kind of churning day in and day out, the pedagogy of teaching is, again, sequential in nature in most cases. And if you look up and you say to the classroom, kids, do you remember when we and you say, no, you don't, because a whole bunch of you weren't here, then you constantly are going back to try to get everybody caught up. It's a significant uh, systems problem that we're going to try to face. So again, here are the, uh, the communities that comprise uh, this community. And uh, we're right here in, in beautiful U City. By the way, I am a, my mom lives right down the block here on Jackson and Dartmouth, not too far away. That's where I grew up. And I went to Jackson Park Elementary School, and I went to University High School as well. Um, so this is our geography, all these fine little places that, um, as, a, as a general, I'm sure most of you know a little bit about, but not much. Uh, you do know not to speed through any of these communities. <laughs> please don't do that. Just in general, don't do it, but please don't, don't do it here. So they, they, their collective vision, right, and the, the important part of our work, and, and this will be thematic throughout this, is um, we work for the people in this community. So it's their voice, their vision, their dreams and aspirations, not ours. Yes, we're professionals, but our job is to support them. So their words, uh, they want to create strong communities, engaged families, and successful children. That's what they said is important to them. And that was crafted almost a decade ago after a year-long uh, community engagement process. Um, and we're doing a, uh, we're calling Community 2.0 as we speak. It's almost done. Um, and we'll talk a little more about that as we go on. Again, this is, uh, you know, the visuals of, you know, this community and those that we serve. So here's our underlying principle about how we come to work every day. Uh, ask, align, and act. Ask the community, right? I, I go home to Richmond Heights every day. It's not up for me or any of my team to say, here's what you people who live in 24 one should do. No. It's your community. It's your life. It's your home. You know the challenges, and more importantly, you know the solutions. So ask the community, align the resources, right? And one of the biggest challenges in the work of community building is how do you align resources, right? How do you get not-for-profits to work together? How do you get public policy to work for you? How do you get public dollars to flow into your geography? How do you get philanthropic dollars to flow in, into your community? Do it in an aligned way so you can have the greatest impact possible. One of the things um, that, again, I, I would urge you to think about when I get done is... Um, yeah, that was really interesting, but we've not solved anything yet. We've done good work, um, but we've not solved anything yet. So we still have to do a better job, but, but, but you'll see as I continue to talk, that we've, we've done a decent job of aligning some of the resources necessary. Um, and my favorite thing is act. Let's get some stuff done. Um, uh, community engagement is important, aligning is important, but let's get some doggone work done. So we believe in this notion that home matters, and home for us is, yes, the place you go home to every night, the, pillow you lay your head on uh, every night, the kitchen table where you talk about your day, 
But home is also the life in and around where you live that fuels and draws the best out of people that, that live there. So for us, we, we push back on the notion that sometimes people want to have, you know, the one thing that will make a community better. It's education, isn't it? It's housing, isn't it? It's jobs, isn't it? It's those and many other things. Successful places work because all the facets of a strong place work together um, every day in an intentionally creative fashion. In places that struggle, it doesn't. So here's some examples of the idea of home. So this is a small map of just the city of Pine Lawn to give you a sense of, of what, what we've accomplished in the last 10 years. So we've invested uh, over $75 million in the housing stock in our community. That's uh, buying and rehabbing existing homes added to our rental portfolio. Today we have over 500 units in our rental portfolio, a significant majority in the 24-1 footprint. Uh, we buy and rehab homes to sell to new homeowners. We build new homes to add to our rental portfolio, build new homes to sell um, to, to new homeowners. Um, We've given out over uh, 700 uh, grants to existing homeowners, mostly seniors, raised their kids in this community. Their kids are, are now long gone, and they don't have the economic capacity to reinvest in their homes and in their community. So the idea here of this map is how do you align those resources and drive them in uh, a particular geography to try to get some sense of scale and some sense of how do you, how do you move forward. So hard to read this map, but... Um, this space here is Barack Obama Elementary School, and that was built almost 10 years ago. Um, and our idea is we wanted that to kind of be the focal point. Again, if public education is at the center of, of what we're trying to do, uh, recognizing the importance of public education in, in any community relative to its tax base, well, relative to its ability to retain people there or draw people to come in. Um, so you see, this is where the school is, and then all that stuff we've intentionally invested um, both in new buildings, all that purple stuff is new buildings we just built and just occupied within the last two to three months. Um, that little odd-shaped red uh, building there on the, on the far end there, that is our new world headquarters of Beyond Housing, an old school building, uh, 42,000 square, square feet, old Garfield Elementary School. So again, the idea of how do you invest in what we call the built environment, right? When people see new homes coming up and abandoned, dilapidated homes coming down, it gives them a sense of, uh, wow, there's something happening here. I can see a change. Maybe there's something is getting better. Maybe I can do something better to make the place I call home uh, the best it can be. We do a lot of work in this idea of, of asset building. So uh, one of the challenges, particularly um, in low-income communities, is, is both lack of income and lack of wealth. So for us, this idea of uh, asset building and wealth creation is, is really important. So um, we've provided through grant dollars over a million dollars in match savings accounts for folks um, wanting to become homeowners, wanting to go to school or start um, a small business or, or, or buy a car. Um, having a job is a great thing, um, but uh, uh, having wealth and having uh, savings is, is, is even better. Um, what is a match savings? You, you save a dollar, we match it with three toward a particular asset, whether that's buying a home, paying for a college education, starting a small business, or buying a car. Again, the idea there is we want to help you invest in things that will help you become financially stronger long term. Uh, the car is really the only depreciating asset among that class, but in St. Louis, if you don't have a car, you can't go to work. If you can't go to work, you don't have a paycheck. If you don't have a paycheck, you can't think about savings. 
So, so again, the idea here is how do we help change the dynamic um, of a family relative to the issue of wealth and savings? Um, one of the questions that I, I was going to pose later, and I'll just kind of I'll, I'll prep a little bit now, is when I think of, of the last, pick, pick your time frame, 20, 30 years, kind of what metric of community outcome has really changed to, for the better? Um, and the reality is not many at all. And we've invested billions of dollars in places and in, in families and really haven't seen significant changes in community outcome. <coughs> Two that come to mind. Um, and this, and I'll, I'm, I'm going to relate back to this real quick. Um, and that is the uh, African-American um, unemployment rate is, is uh, at historic lows. Yes, it's good, but average income is still terrible. And wealth creation is awful, right? So yes, folks have jobs, but if they have low-paying jobs that doesn't allow them to live, live a decent life, then yeah, let's not kind of clap our hands and claim victory. Um, how do we get from, yes, you have a job, to, yes, I have a job, and I'm able to save, and I'm able to build wealth for my family, for my kids, and for my grandkids? Because too often what we see is families that, that, that we serve um, uh, don't have families to fall back on, right? Don't have a family say, here's some help with that down payment system to buy your first house. Here's some help when something goes wrong in your life, right? All of our families that we serve, by and large, don't have a, a, lot, a lot to fall back on. Uh, this talks about all the homeowners that we've created all throughout the St. Louis region, including um, our community. Uh, we provide first-time homebuyers education. <coughs> we actually go to loan closings. We provide second mortgages. Um, and we see a lot of people who are interested in becoming first-time homebuyers. It's an idea of how do you uh, give them skills to be successful long-term. On the health front, so where you live um, impacts your health. Uh, two, three years ago, it's a great uh, report um, coming out of Washington University, the Brown School, called um, For the Sake of All that talked about, you know, this uh, life differential by zip code, right? So um, uh, they used a city zip code in Clayton, but I want to use 63133, which is Pagedale and Wellston. It's got hop, skip, and jump from here. Life differential if you live in Pagedale and Wellston from if you live in Clayton, which literally you can see Clayton from uh, the intersection of St. Charles Rock Road in Pennsylvania. You can see the high rises. 18-year differential. So I, want to, I, was, I was okay to pause on that for a moment. Life differential in that short distance is an 18-year differential. Some of that, yes, we can attribute to, okay, maybe you could have done things better in your life. Okay. But so much of that is, is the systems that don't allow people to lead their best lives, that don't have grocery stores nearby, don't have enough income to have primary care, don't have jobs that have health insurance, all those things that prevent people from, uh, again, living their best lives. <coughs> so what we've done is um, a whole host of things, right? So I mentioned uh, all the housing stuff we've done, which is good and important, but not yet sufficient to move a community forward. We've also done um, uh, a lot of other things. So eight years ago, uh, we built Milner Grocery Store, a 16,000 square foot save lot on the corner of Page and Ferguson. Hop, skip, and a jump from here. I urge you, if by chance you're a little tired of schnooks and you want to go someplace else, just <laughs> go on up the street and go to that, I think, the best-looking save-a-lot in the region. I could be a tad bit biased, but I think it's the best-looking save-a-lot. Um, it was a food desert 10 years ago. I will be honest, I believe it wasn't clear what heck of food desert was. And when my really smart staff told me what it was, I'm like, oh, we're in one. We don't have grocery stores, right? We have the corner bodegas. And people, quite frankly, were just used to it. We just don't get to have grocery stores. 
Well, we said that's not okay, and the community said, boy, we really love a grocery store in our community. So we put together financing um, uh, that grocery store. Um, uh, does about $5 million in, in sales every year. Uh, it is absolutely cheaper than Schnucks because I shop at our safe a lot and I live a stone's throw from a Schnucks. And yes, I promise you it is a lot cheaper in the food. The food is absolutely just as good as food as Schnucks. Um, we've saved our families over a million dollars in terms of uh, uh, aggregate savings by having an affordable place to buy their, um, to buy their groceries. Um, this store has, has done year over year uh, as good, if not better, than almost all the other Save-A-Lot stores in their chain. Um, so it's one of these amazing things that I just, I just get, I get befuddled at. So here's a place who had uh, no grocery stores, no place to shop. We built a grocery store, and people came about food. Who knew? I mean, it's just, it's just so amazing, right? The challenge was, and this is the economics of it, right? You can't finance that grocery store like you finance a grocery store in New City, in Olivet, in Creveport. You had to finance it different. And once we were able to do that, the store can operate and be successful. Um, it is also part of a TIF. Uh, I know in New City there's a lot of conversation about that Costco TIF uh, up on Olive and 170. So ours was a TIF, the quietest TIF ever in St. Louis region because it was actually done in a place where I think the TIF uh, legislation was actually designed. Places that were struggling, places that need economic boost. Um, we are the what's called the master developer in the TIF, which is a unique place for a not-for-profit to be. Um, but we said, if someone's going to make money at this, I wanted it to be us because we're going to do what? We're going to invest it back into community, and we're going to continue to ask the community what do they want to see happen in their community. <coughs> 24-1 Cinema. Again, close by, you guys. I urge you, if you haven't been there, again, it's on the corner of Page and Ferguson. Uh, three screens, 375 seats. First-run movies, $6 and $9. Um, we think the most affordable uh, movie theater in town. Our community said, we don't have any entertainment opportunities. We have to leave. We have to go to the Esquire. We have to go to the Galleria. We have to go to other places. And quite frankly, particularly a lot of our children don't feel comfortable going there because they get identified as we got to keep an eye on those kids. And that's just real, whether we like it or not, or quite frankly, if you don't think it's true, I promise you it is. Maybe not 100% of the kids, but clearly a whole bunch of our kids from our community. So how about we, we do a movie theater? And again, same thing for us is um, community asked us. We did the exploration. Um, uh, what we found is people in our community on a per capita basis go see movies at, at a higher percentage than most of the region. So we had an audience that was already going to see movies. They were just leaving our community. So again, can we, can we build a, uh, a facility, again, subsidize the development so we don't have much debt at all? And guess what? doggone thing works. This year we'll have close to 90,000 people walk through our doors. Um, we're close to breaking even. If I can get to about 90,000, we're close to breaking even. Even better, we hire kids from Normie High School who are part of that match savings program to pay for college, right? So we employ you. Your paycheck goes directly into your bank account. As soon as it goes into the bank account, uh, that particular account, again, is a three-to-one match. So once it goes to your account, we have a separate account in your name that we match it three-to-one. Right? So that's the intersection, right? That's the intersection of education and economic <coughs> development. In addition, uh, this senior building here, Rosie Shields, is directly across the parking lot from the grocery store. So we hire, uh, not only providing great housing for those seniors, it's independent living, with a great community space on the bottom, two of those seniors work at the movie theater as well. They literally can see their place of employment out their windows, and they walk to work um, every day. 
Um, so we have the grocery store, we have the senior building, there's a bank on the bottom floor, Midwest Bank Center opened up a full service branch about five years ago. Um, uh, that particular bank branch today is a $40 million branch, and I promise you Midwest Bank Center never in their wildest dreams thought that they would have that successful a branch. Quite frankly, and I'm on the board of Midwest Bank Center, and I will tell you, um, they came along kind of, not quite kicking and screaming, but almost. They got into a little trouble from our friends, friends at the Federal Reserve. Um, they needed to do something more, so we convinced them to open up a branch. Um, they clearly said, we think we need to do this because, not they thought it was a good business decision. Now they said, wow, that was a really good business decision because that branch is doing really well. By and large, because with our help, they've said, look, what does this community need from, from a, bank, a suite of banking products? Because it's not going to be what the folks in Lee Mayor and the folks in Chesterfield need and want. It's a different suite of banking products, right? So again, if you're cognizant of and pay respect to people who live in community, guess what? Banks can be successful, grocery stores can be successful, movie theaters can be successful, right? Yeah, and this is the power of what is possible. Not simple and not easy. I don't want to act like, oh, this is, every community can do this. But we're, we're trying to prove that this stuff is possible. We've opened up a, a health center with our friends at Affinium. We opened up a coffee shop about a year or so ago. Uh, successful places have coffee shops. You go to gather, you get a meal, you get a cup of coffee. Um, again, why can't this community have things that others have? Uh, we just hired a, uh, first community health workers about nine months ago uh, on a per capita basis. Um, many low-income communities, and clearly ours, have a great uh, significant issue with asthma and diabetes. Um, and those have uh, disparate impact on uh, life success of those families um, who struggle with those two uh, chronic diseases. Uh, both of them through uh, changes in behavior, changes in diet, and other kind of support can be uh, alleviated to a significant degree. Um, so again, working with uh, BJC Christian Hospital with the Integrated Health Network and uh, Affinium, and again the Normie Schools collaborative there that both as the Vikings. Um, the idea is uh, our staff um, aren't, aren't, um, uh, aren't, aren't clinicians, right? Our staff simply says, hey, how you doing? What are the challenges that prevent you from taking care of your diabetes and taking care of the asthma the way that, that you really should? And are you struggling with, you know, um, I'm behind in my rent and I'm really struggling with that so I can't buy my meds because i got to pay rent? Is it my car broke down and i gotta, I got to fix my car so I can't take my meds? Is it only taking half my meds because, again, I don't have the financial resources to, to do everything I'm supposed to do? Oh, I, I don't have the time to, to buy the healthy food, right? Uh, oh, and yeah, I haven't had time to get to the save a lot. You know, again, to buy the healthy food that will help you to improve your health and well-being. So our job is to try to clear the hurdles of all those things that get in front of folks to help them, again, lead their best lives as possible. We've gotten awards. Yay. Robert Wood Johnson. And my staff loves doing this stuff. So please picture these prizes. Yes, you know, the only great prizes. It's really nice. It's nice affirmation. Uh, creative placemaking. Um, so one of the things that we've not done really well over the last 10 years is uh, bring art into, again, our, our community building work. So the last couple of years, we've really been um, placing a big uh, emphasis on this. So this particular, particular picture here was from about two months ago when we brought Shakespeare in the street to the corner of Page and Ferguson. It's absolutely wonderful. We partnered with um, the, the good folks um, uh, over in Calhoun County from Brussels, Illinois. Um, little teeny, tiny farming town. Uh, across the river. Um, Q 
kids from Breeze High School and kids from Normandy High School, professional actors, um, and other folks from the community were, um, were in the play. It was simply fantastic. And it was really about this notion of perceptions about who people are, which is fascinating, right? So um, the kids from Breeze and Normandy, quite frankly, saw that they had a lot more in common than they had uh, that was different. Um, and without this idea of bringing folks together, using arts as a way to do that, um, uh, is something we're really thrilled about. Uh, we're also going to do a, a public uh, art mural on our movie theater. Um, so typically movie theaters aren't very exciting to look at during the day because um, we light up at night with the fancy lights. So we're going to put a big giant mural on our movie theater, hopefully by the end of uh, 2020. Uh, we do a lot of work with uh, the municipal governments, right? In our, in our region, there's been this bemoaning of, oh my God, we have so many municipalities, it's terrible, it's just awful, you know? The whole better together thing was the sense that there was too many of them and they're awful. If we fix our governmental structure, everything will be great. Um, first, I think it's silly to think we're going to fix small governments and magically everything gets better. Now, there clearly are, are room, there's room for improvement, so these small municipalities can uh, clearly be more effective. Um, so here's what we've done over the last uh, 10 years. Um, we've really, uh, we meet every month with, with uh, anywhere between 12 to 18 mayors and, their, and some of their council folks. So we talk to them about how can they provide the best governmental services for their residents and their taxpayers. Right? How do they wring out efficiencies um, in their work. So things that we're doing right now, we're working with um, uh, eight of the cities to pool their health care benefits for their employees, because right now they're in the marketplace by themselves, small employee pool, and it's very difficult. Standardizing code enforcement, and really taking the book out of, out of uh, the, the U cities, um, a book about how they keep property values up. Standardized code, code enforcement across um, you know all 24 communities. Technically, there's 23 because we helped facilitate a merger two years ago, uh, but we're not changing the brand. It's still 24, but technically there's 23 uh, after the second merger that we're helping with as we speak today. Normandy and Glen Echo Park will merge. Um, uh, so the idea of standardized code enforcement is, uh, right now we have some municipalities that have staff, some that hire a vendor to do code inspections, they have different codes that they follow, it's kind of all over the place. So how do we standardize that, including having some common staff that does the code enforcement that elevates the quality of the housing stock? That really says, look, there's not a whole lot these small cities can control directly, right? They, they can't make the schools better. It's not their function, not their role. But if they improve their housing stock and increase property values, the tax base goes up, the tax base goes up, the biggest beneficiary of an increased tax base is the public school system. Right? So again, how do we uniformly look at making sure that both speculators who own property take care of it, and even old Mrs. Smith, who we love, who's lived here forever, and is the most wonderful person ever, but her house is falling down around her. Right? We have to hold them both accountable, but now Mrs. Smith, we're going we're to do everything in our power to give her the resource to support her. The speculator, not so much, but Mrs. Smith, we're going we're to help. But we can't let Mrs. Smith's house fall down and turn a blind eye to it because it's not good for the, rest, for the rest of the community. Uh, we're in the process of doing a master plan for all 24 cities. So historically, they just kind of had their little blinders on. They looked at their, at their own communities. Now we're asking to say, look, you're connected. Right? And not every community like Pagedale is going to get a grocery store, a movie theater, a coffee shop. If you live in Hamlin Hills, you should drive down the street. And don't act like, well, that's in Pagedale. I can't go there. It's not my community. Yes, it's, yes, it's your community. Um, 
We have uh, 13 communities now served by two police departments. We have two court hubs serving 14 different communities. Again, we're behind the scenes facilitating all those kinds of things to, again, move this community forward. Uh, education. So we believe that any strong community is driven by a strong public education system, and a strong public education system is driven by strong families and strong neighborhoods. Right? So our, our role has been, and will continue to be, strong families and strong neighborhoods. So today we have 14 staff, people embedded in the Normandy schools. They're called Family Engagement Liaisons. Uh, their job is to understand what challenges that the kids and the families face that prevent their children from accessing what Normandy has to offer each and every day. And sadly, it's a number of things that we, that we know about, but, it's, but, but you know, our staff can see it um, uh, in real life every day. Kids are hungry. Kids need clean clothes. Kids need school supplies. And the families have a whole variety of other issues Again, from worry about eviction and the car breaking down and a bad landlord and a whole series of things that prevent them from really helping their children focus on their education and making sure when their child comes to school every day that they're ready and prepared. If you're hungry and if you saw a bunch of awful stuff in your house between you know 6.30 and 8 and you show up at school and we expect you to be smiley, happy, and have your number two pencil out ready to work, that's just unrealistic and unfair. Again, not that we think for a moment we should lower expectations for our children. We just think we should honor the context of their lives and say, how do we get rid of those things that prevent them from being successful? How do we remove the barriers, the obstacles, the hurdles that sadly get thrown in front of them every day? Uh, we also have a, a family support center in Pageville. It's a state licensed after school program. We also do summer programming um, for the youth. We do a big uh, uh, back, yeah, backpack event for school supplies. This past year we gave out 3,000 backpacks um, uh, with full school supplies to the uh, kids coming to the Normandy schools. College savings program, I mentioned this earlier. This is um, uh, with the kids at Normandy High School. This is in addition to that 1.1 million from the earlier slide. This is on top of that. So. Um, now we've, uh, we're, we're actually we're well over 750,000 now. It's called Viking Advantage. Um, 300 kids, over 300 kids to date. 100% um, of those kids go to college. The persistence rate, which is the fancy word for are you still going to school, uh, is 73%, which is crazy good um, for a low-income population. I believe the, uh, the, the statistic for retention rate at St. Louis Community College is around 30%. So the sheer fact that we have kids in that same demographic cohort as the community college having that kind of retention rate is fantastic. Uh, 64 college graduates to date. We have another 14 coming this May. We have seven folks with their master's degree as well. Um, invest in children, um, support them along the way, and guess what? They're going to do great things. Um, do a lot of work in the job space, work with a number of, of, of great organizations about how do we both teens and other folks get them positioned for employment. This is a space we really want to build out in the years to come. We don't do a whole lot in that space. All right, so let me <coughs> mention a, a few other things, and, and then Mark will come with some, some table conversations. Um, one, we believe that our work uh, will only be successful if we build deep and trusting relationships with those we serve. That folks struggle, folks have had a lot of other um, uh, caseworkers and not-for-profits around them. Um, and a lot of times that was just very transactional in nature, which is not bad, right? Okay, if you need food and someone gives you food, yay. Um, you know, if you need resources for utilities and someone provides that, that's good. 
Um, but for us, until you build that deep and trusting relationship, until you really get at all the stuff that families are struggling with, you know, we don't think you can be successful. So everything we do, every program that we offer, um, uh, we're asking staff to say, how can you build a deep and trusting relationship with that family? What does that look like? What kind of resources do you need? Because what we've proven is, look, things can change and things can get better if you have those deep and trusting relationships. So the store, our story is, is one of, <coughs> done a lot of great stuff. Done a lot of wars and people think we're a decent organization. But we're so far from being done. So far from being able to say that the folks um, in the 24-1 footprint don't need us anymore. So far away from being confident that every child who walks across the stage getting a diploma from Normandy High School is positioned for longitudinal success. So far away from ensuring that every child who goes to school every day has been well-fed and loved and cared for. So the question that I have, and I'll let, let Mark, Mark Frey pose on you, is how can we move from work that's transactional in nature to work that's transformational in nature? That, that again, this year, the, uh, during the holiday season, there's a lot of giving, which is wonderful, but typically transactional giving. Giving gifts during the holidays, we're giving food for Thanksgiving, and those are good things. I'm, I'm not casting any aspersions on them. I would just suggest that is not sufficient to really move a family forward. And as a byproduct, move a community forward, as a byproduct, move our region forward. So more can and should be done. What we've proven is what's possible and even though we're not yet done, there's more to do, so I would urge you to think about what else we as a region uh, can do from a policy standpoint, from a creating a North Star, right? Think about the implosion better together from my vantage point. It, it gives us the opportunity as a region to talk about well, what are our North Stars? What's really important to us as a region? Is it our children? Is it our education system? Is it our neighborhoods? What is it? And it can be a handful of those things. And then everything else we do subsequent to claiming what those North Stars are, every decision philanthropic and public policy should point toward that and say, how is it going to impact whatever our North Stars are? And with that, I'll stop and let Mark talk about the table questions. Thank you. Before we engage in some table conversation around the importance of affordable housing as a touchstone for our community. Do you have questions for Chris? Yes, sir. As you centered your, uh, your work around specific hubs or specific locations, I work with a group in Pittsburgh who was uh, working from the, the mantra of dispersing poverty around the city, trying to put people into already established locations. What's your thought on the merit of one approach? Yeah. No, I'm a big fan of Ann Bo. Okay. Yeah, so what I didn't tell you, because again, uh, uh, for time purposes, our original um, development of affordable housing was in places of lower concentration of poverty. Uh, we're in New City, we're in Maplewood, we're in Richmond Heights, and Webster and Kirkwood. And we still own those properties, and they still work wonderfully in terms of putting people in places where the external challenges are no, nowhere near as significant as, as these. We, however, think the biggest impact um, happens in a, from a place-based strategy because you can have cascading impacts in that place. When you move one family to Webster Groves, that's great for that one family who moves to Webster Groves, right? And we should still do that, right? But from a system standpoint, we think the place-based strategy is where we want to put all of our future efforts. It's here and then over here. Um, I'm a, you're speaking my world. I'm a, 
heard, I saw you nodding all the time. I, like, right? I saw school, you nodding. Well, I'm a school social worker in Jennings, and um, it's been a crisis with housing issue. I mean, we have been, it's been really bad. I mean, yeah, I started the year with a family that needed housing. And luckily, I didn't realize the time, but Jeff Smith has gotten all into this, so he, you know, he was a good resource. But we are just seeing, like, the numbers of homeless, and, I mean, they, there's not, we don't have big places. It's like, it, I mean, are you seeing the numbers go up like dramatically this year, like we are? They've always been bad, right? So that you know, it's worse. we see we see spikes kind of kind of up and down. So the challenge with the um, availability of affordable housing is not based upon need; it's based upon what the federal government wants wants to allocate, right, in terms of dollars and or uh, a Section 8 subsidy. Um, so for us, the so I mentioned we've built 41 new homes in Pine Lawn to match our rental portfolio. It took us two and a half years, ten million dollars to do it. That first day. That, that we finished the project, we got 41 calls for housing, right? So we're not gonna build our way through this, right? For us, it's, we're trying to identify, you already live somewhere, well, and, 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 and why are you leaving, right? Is there something that can be done to help keep you there? And then the landlords let the roof, you know, fall in. Yeah, then, so. Or they, you know, make complaints against the landlord, and so the landlord says they're a bad renter, and then they, you know, the, and these people don't have the education or the sure. wherewithal to, to defend them. And um, legal aid has you know wait lists for housing right. for housing related issues. So, so from a system standpoint, that's a solvable problem if we say that's a problem we want to solve, right? Right? Legal aid can if get more want money. To. Yes, if you want to, right? right? So as opposed to spending two and a half years, ten million dollars for forty one homes, let's invest in legal aid, let's invest in uh, you know, tenant protection laws that, that protect tenants and then ideally keep them where they're at because trying to find another place is going to be real difficult. I mean, just, yeah, the housing stock is there if we can just make sure that the landlords are keeping it up and respecting the landlords. Right, so, so, so again, the idea of what can we collectively do, right? So we know it's a problem, right? So how do we collectively say, well, let's get after it versus saying, oh, man, it's a terrible problem. Right. And then, right. then, we, then we don't do much about it. Oh, that kind of got at me with the... I moved here from Washington, D.C., which is a very gentrified and gentrifying system. Uh, and it's interesting because I got into some of the TIF questions in New City, and I got told over and over again, we don't have an affordable housing problem in St. Louis. <laughs> and but by city officials uh, who were looking to bulldoze housing. So that is something that I, I find really interesting in that we do have a lot of housing, we have a lot of vacancy, even in New City in the Third Ward we've got vacancy issues, but what would you say about how is St. Louis, when we look at questions of affordable housing, different than a gentrifying East Coast city? Well, look, the, the, the need is still dramatic, right? The fact that our housing values and price points are lower, the corollary is so is our income, right? So it just shifts from higher value, higher income, to lower value, lo lower income. So a lot of times people can't rent places not because the places aren't, aren't available or in decent condition, is they don't, they don't earn enough to, to pay the rent, right? So it's, yes, the affordability of, but it's, then it's also the income of the family. So what we've been exploring is can we create, in, in our language, is um, a private label housing authority, 
What that simply means is, right now, um, the, the, to, to receive a housing subsidy, meaning you know, pay a portion of your rent, um, the waiting list gets open once every couple of years and then immediately closes, and then you then you wait if you get on the if, you, if you're so lucky. Most folks aren't. There's nothing you can do. So what if you said to that family in Jennings, and let's say the roof wasn't falling, and they just had they, they had a disconnect relative to the landlord wants to pay and need 600 a month in rent, and right, I can afford 500, right? So. Families will pay 600 for a while until the jig is up, and at some point something gives. So what if we create a system that said, we'll pay that $100 a month differential for you for, let's say, three years, and you work with a whole cadre of us to help support you and your family to figure out how we can move you along an economic continuum where you can earn a little bit more, where your family's stable, where your kids stay in school, where there's not this stress and strain and trauma every day. So 100 bucks a month for three years is $3,600. Let's say we had a... Uh, give the landlord $1,000 because because they're behind in back rent. You're $4,600 in. You kept a family in that place. Versus what's going to happen if that family goes into the homeless system, the healthcare system, all the other systems they go in, that number goes up five, six, ten times. So again, there's things that we can do if we're willing to be innovative, think differently, and say what's important to us. Our children being homeless should be, in my mind, something that we should be aghast at, and we're not. We're kind of used to it. We've gotten comfortable. We should get rid of the dirty page leases that people don't can't read. So the minute there's some problem that they can get some loophole that they can take out with. Yes. Debbie and then Ms. So given that you know you're dealing with a community, how can other communities that live in that area best help the Well, one one of a couple of things, right? So as as we think about kind of policy changes, and again, don't think let's keep doing the same thing, we're gonna have different outcomes. Right? It's not not gonna happen, right? So you have to do things pretty pretty significantly different, right? So what policy changes can we collectively say are important, like um, the homelessness issue in schools, right? So why don't we apply resources to that, right? We why doesn't Why doesn't St. Louis County, the state of Missouri say, wow, we, we need to apply resources to make sure if there's a way that a child in Jennings in Normandy in New City is struggling with homelessness, we have resources available to stabilize the family, to keep that child in school, to determine what's the long-term challenge that that family faces. Right? So again, that's just us saying from a policy standpoint, look, whatever, what we're doing is not working. All of us, not profit, me included, right? I, I work really hard, look in the mirror, I'm doing my best. But it's not working, right? I mean, we're putting Band-Aids on human suffering, but they keep, folks keep coming back because they have the same issues and we keep giving them more Band-Aids. And I'm growing weary of, of, of giving out Band-Aids, right? I'm going to get to the, the, the root challenges and get after those so folks can have a better life. So we're not handing out the same band-aids over and over again. Secondarily, um, you know, be aware of stuff like happening up, up in our community, and just share the story about it. Well, some great stuff happening just up the road here. Doing really innovative stuff with housing and education and grocery stores and, and movie theaters and things are possible. A lot of times we just throw our hands out and we just don't know what to do. You know, what, what, what can I do, right? Well, you know, it's right up here. There's stuff that's happening. And clearly, folks want to, want to support us. There's lots of different ways you can support through volunteerism. If your place of employment is as a, uh, as a giving program, I will come sing and dance and tell the story in front of anybody who wants to listen. Uh, the more people know about us, the more opportunities we have to get more resources um, uh, to do this work. This gentleman. So, um, recently there was an article in the newspaper, I'm sure you thought about the rents in South St. Louis going up so high. Obviously, that's a, a big question on itself, but how do you balance, you know, the, the, the concept of development in the city is a good thing, 
Um, I talked to you guys about that about eight years ago. Yeah, so we renovated it together. We had over 100 people volunteer, um, and we've been renting it to St. Patrick's Center um, because there was a subsidy from the Missouri State Government to house veterans, particularly. That's whose house is a veteran family that was experiencing homelessness. They'll be there for about two years. Um, but as we've done that, and as we've started this new ministry around laundry in our neighborhood, we've encountered a lot more folks, even just in Ward 2 of U City, that are struggling with housing affordability, that are struggling with absentee landlords, that are struggling with... And one of the things we've been wondering is, how could we do more in that space right here? Because um, this is, a, like, historically and continuously economically diverse corridor right here between Del Mar and Olive. What would be, you know, is the next thing to buy another house and renovate it, or partner with, what would you advise the church to do as a body for our next um, step? One, I, I would try to do a little more digging on data, and not just have anecdotal stuff, right, so whatever data you can gather on kind of where really are the problems and where they rest. Yeah. Um, buying physical assets, I think, has value because it helps, you know, build balance sheet, have some strength, but there are, again, limited, because you, you take a whole lot of time, a whole lot of resources for one family. More families over time, but, but in essence, one family. So if there's issues with housing affordability, is our resources better served at determining how can I help you in this short term that will prevent you from having a much bigger problem in your life, whether it's becoming homeless or everything else that happens when you struggle because you want to keep your house and you don't want to lose it. So you may want to explore from a financial standpoint, can we help more families by, by again, having a little mini rental rent subsidy or even mortgage subsidy program? Mm -hmm. You know, there's some criteria and there's going to be some stuff you wanna, you're going to want to think through about, you know, how do you create enough systems in place that's not overly bureaucratic but also says, yeah, we understand what the challenges are and we think this is a good uh, allocation of, of a finite resource. Um, again, the for us, historically, we. As, as, as a business model, owning a bunch of stuff is great, but there are just limitations in terms of how you build those assets. It just takes a lot of time and resources, and is, is that where you guys are at today, is that the best use of, of your finite resources of both people and dollars? So again, do some analysis from a data standpoint about what are the challenges in this in this in Ward 2, um, try to quantify them and say, okay, if that, those are the problems, what's the best way we can address them? One, trying to do one house will feel good on the day you do the ribbon cutting, but then all the people are gonna reach out to you and you, you, you don't have anything other than unless those houses become vacant. All right, so again, think about ways you can have greater impact and greater scale. How does Habitat for Humanity work? Do you, are you involved with that or is that just a... They're a fine organization. They're, they're just, they have a different model than ours. Ours, they, they do um, uh, home ownership. So every year they'll do 20 to 30 homes and allow people to build some sweat equity and um, become a homeowner and have a mortgage through Habitat. They're fine organizations. We've asked them to come up to our community every year for 10 years, and they have other places that they wind up going. So they're, they're fine. They're just different. I think we're better, but I'm a little biased. But just <laughs> <laughs> Chris, uh, I think you're very correctly shared with us that uh, issues in St. Louis, as they are in most communities, are systemic. Uh, from your own experience, what part of that system is most susceptible to intervention, to getting things moving? And this is the corollary to that, where is the greatest resistance where we have to work the hardest? That's a great question, Mark. Um, 
So I, I think the answer to both of them is schools. Uh, I think there's the greatest opportunity also the greatest resistance. But I found folks in education um, just struggle with non-education folks like me having conversations with them about, yeah, I'm, I'm not into the teaching and learning, right? That's, that's for you guys. But all, all we're suggesting is um, if we don't address the issues that the kids face day in and day out, then they're not going to be successful in school. If they're not, that means the school district won't be successful. If the school district's not successful, then the community won't be successful long term. Um, so for us, it's, um, again, how do we systemically say there are, the school system should not be asked to solve every problem that that child and family has. And historically, that's what's been done, right? It's kind of laid at the, at the doorstep of, of the school buildings. Child shows up, okay, it's up to you guys to handle it. And they don't have any of the resources, nor, 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 nor the skill sets to do it, because they're, by and large, they're educated, other than a handful, handful of social workers who are overwhelmed because they, they don't have the resources to do it, right? So, as an example, um, Normandy um, has uh, 3,300 kids um, that go to the go school system, um, uh, and they have uh, two counselors. Well, that's just ridiculous, right? And, and, but they're used to it. So they're not squawking like, this is absolutely ridiculous, right? Collectively as a region, we're not saying, well, how many nurses are in the schools? And how many social workers do we have? What other resources do we have? But somehow we expect our kids to do well under standardized test scores. Right. right? It's just ridiculous, right? So again, how do we put more resources in place, more support systems in place, hold the district accountable for, yes, you have to be good in the classroom, right? Like not getting off the hook because the, the children have some challenges. Hold them accountable, but then hold the rest of us accountable for everything else in that child's life to make sure that we can wrap our collective arms around them so they can do well. You can't lose yet another generation of kids because we don't have the collective energy to say, the real work is yes in the classroom, but the corollary is the real work is when the kids go home and how do we support them. So I'm gonna intervene and say, um, we're not gonna do our formal table questions part of the forum because we're running low on time. Um, next week, we will be back at 9.15. Uh, next week, we're going to have a much more internal conversation because this uh, Saturday, we'll be electing a new bishop of the Diocese of Missouri, uh, and we'll have our convention. And so the clergy and the representatives that will be with their uh, voting, uh, representing Holy Communion, will be with us uh, to have a conversation about how that went because it will just happen. Uh, so we're going to use our time next week for the forum uh, to talk about the convention, to talk about the election of the bishop. Uh, you can watch that online, live, on Saturday, if you're that kind of church nerd. Um, we won't have a forum uh, the weekend. Or no, we do. We do have a forum. The Sunday after Thanksgiving, um, Dr. Adam from Eden Seminary will be with us. Uh, and it, he's always a great, great fun to listen to. So, um, will you help me thank Chris Kupfer? And as we thank Chris, one of the things that I hope to enjoy today is a community where we often see a deluge with problems, gun violence, health care shortages, educational challenges. One of the things that I most enjoy about the privilege of working with Chris is I come away with a sense of hope. There is something that we can do. And our job as people of faith, as this community of holy community, is to do it. Uh, so let's listen and let's act. Thanks, Chris. It's great.